If you produce the identical substance and called it Tim and Mark sauce, no one would buy it, okay, for a variety of reasons. Well, <laughs> speak for yourself. I Maybe think. if you just called it Tim sauce. You I know. think they would buy Tim yeah, sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Johannesburg is renowned for many things, two of which are that it's the biggest man-made forest in the world, and second of all, that it's got the most pleasant climate in the world. And could we not have chosen a better week to present summer in the middle of winter, which is what we've got here. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, we, we've got temperatures running into the 20s, clear sun, and it's another brick in the wall. <laughs> I don't know what is another brick in the wall. I've never really understood that song. Is it like there's a wall being built and we want to put another brick in? Or is it uh, there's a wall between people and here is another brick that is dividing us. I, you know, I wish Pink Floyd had been more specific about what they actually meant here. <laughs> I think that they say that we should be careful not just to become another brick in the wall. That is to say, to submit to the system, to just be okay. yet another brick in the wall. I think that's what it's about. But we used to have that childish question in physics. Does cement keep bricks together or apart? Oh, wow. Deep. <laughs> you see? Deep, man. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Pink Floyd had that one. Okay. So we're the bricks. We are We are the bricks. That is what the song is about. And as it happens, we are also the bricks. It's Bricks Week and everybody is incredibly excited. There's going to be people from a gazillion places around the world in Johannesburg. Can I just ask you a straight direct question? Is this BRICS thing good or bad? I would need to first try and understand why we're doing it. But on balance, it's good if we had a very specific purpose and agenda, which I don't think we've got. We have got a stated policy of non-alignment, a stated policy of not wanting to get in anyone's way, and so on and so on. And so what are we going to get out of BRICS other than, you know, hosting yet another collection, and a growing collection of politicians. So yes, yes. on balance, I'd say it's probably good if we extract the value. I think South Africa's in a bit of a position here because, you know, for us, I think it is good. For South Africa, which is the minnow in this group, we have joined high school. We are part of the first team. You know, we are right at the apex. So, And I think it looks particularly good for Cyril Ramaphosa, for the president, because he is now presiding over this thing. And, you know, I just have to say, you know, I sort of go through these phases, but you have to say he has handled this fantastically well. To somehow convince Putin not to come, which has allowed the whole thing, you know, it's taken that issue off the agenda. He's sort of caught a balance between East and West. You know, he's sort of catering to his party by being, you know, more pro-Bricks than pro-West, but he hasn't closed the door in the West. As I was reading in the FT today, this is the new world. We are foreign policy a la carte. There's no, I'm going to pronounce this wrongly, menu fixe. We choose our partners in a sort of crazy randomized fashion. And I think that's good for us. There's no question we're living in a time of expediency. I mean, only have to go back a week or so to look at the people being released from prison as an expedient outcome, yes, yes, yes. you know, which ignores the law. We have handled it well. We are hosting it, and, that, and that's the bottom line. What, what I'm intrigued about is that we've got 30 or 40 other heads of state attending here. Yeah, yeah. And so one wonders what their purpose is and whether, again, it's just our good weather. <laughs> yeah. And we've also got, as it's publicly reported, at least 20 applicants in the mix. 
So maybe we're part of the A team, as you said it. Maybe we're in the high school, but we're about to open the floodgate. And why would we do that? So what is your view on increasing the membership? You know, I've thought about this before. I mean, I think there has to be a certain criteria to BRICS membership. Otherwise, the thing is going to lose its brand. And the brand has to be big developing countries. And, you know, in my personal preference, big developing countries that are also democracies, then you have a kind of raison d'etre for the organization to exist. If we just open the floodgates, basically then what we're doing is we are being party to China's desire to be the leader of the developing world. You know what I mean? And that's why I think China is so in favor of expansion, because then all of a sudden, you know, it basically becomes China's organization rather than anybody else's. What do you think? There's also India, a non-trivial member in this debate. Yeah. And then there's the rest of us. You know, I think that there is no question that there's a shift in the levers of geopolitical power and people are starting to choose friends. My concern is that we want to be friends with everybody. And once you want to be friends with everybody, <laughs> you're friends with no one. So we, 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 we sort of in BRICS, we're a member of G7, you know, which excludes some countries, excludes India and China, by the way, G7. Okay. There is. And then we, we are a member of the G20, which is like all comers welcome. Okay. And that's as long as you're big. Yeah. We're not, we're not members of the G7 yet. We are, don't forget, very invited. Yes. Yeah. We get invited sometimes. And very ostentatiously, we were not invited last time. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I was, <laughs> so, I was, I was up there. So, so, so the, the, the question is, you know, what is your purpose of joining all of these groupings? You know, China might have a purpose. India might have a purpose. Our purpose is to be in the popular middle, is it? I don't know, okay? Our purpose should be to get some favorable or at least cement some trade yes. deals and relationships and alliances and things that go into the future. Now, you go back to the genesis of BRICS, it was exactly that. It was gathering together what were then countries at an equal stage of what might be described as enthusiastic development, you know, huge growth stories. and right. That's changed. Some of them have way outgrown that developing country kind of label. Yes. And some of them have lagged, and I don't want to pre-put us into the wrong category over there, but, but we're not in the first one. Okay. okay. I think it was interesting that the, you know, the BRICS concept was really a, a, an investment concept. It was to try and bring attention to the fact that there were new kids on the block that investors around the world might be interested in investing in. So, you know, it's no accident that it emanated out of an investment house, Goldman Sachs, right? But one of the most interesting graphs, there's been a lot around of, you know, the development, GDP growth, et cetera, et cetera, for, for, of all of the BRICS nations. But the one that nobody, uh, that, that, you know, that you, you don't see a lot was in a note from the old mutual investment strategist, Isaac Odendahl, who I thought really wrote a really nice note about the event as a whole. And what he did was he tracked the forward P-E ratios of the stock markets of all of the BRICS countries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now, you know, the average P-E ratio has come down from around about, call it 15, to around about 8 for all of the countries except India. And of course, Russia's market is closed, right? And it closed when its forward P-E was 5. So one of the problems that BRICS has that it doesn't really acknowledge is that investors around the world have kind of lost interest yeah. 
if your forward PE is dropping, then it basically means investors are not seeing much growth there, or they're not seeing a, a future yeah, there. Well, I mean, it's a point I was trying to clumsily make. The raison d'etre for its coming into existence has expired. Okay, and so now why is it there? Okay. Yes. And I think people are struggling with allegiances in the future and so on. I'm sitting in Santon, Tim, and a jet has just flown past here, a low-flying jet. I'm guessing that it's something to do with bricks <laughs> because <laughs> like a proper jet. Okay. Yeah, in Joburg, they've closed the airspace. They've closed all of the road. Yes. You're not even allowed to fly. There they are. They're two, you know, like war jets. Okay. Hoying it over Santon City. Yes. And those might be the last two we've got that are flying, but they're there. But okay. Isn't it amazing that, you know, the load shedding schedule seems to you know, relaxed about it. Oh, it's a pure coincidence. Tim, come on. Don't, don't let's get into conspiracy theories now. The <laughs> yeah, fact definitely. that the, the load shedding has stopped and the Parnapala judgment came out favorably are purely coincidental with the timing of BRICS. Okay. What do you make of Parnapala, the Parnapala finding? I mean, I struggle to understand it. You know, never mind have a view. The only thing I saw was that the Saab found that he was not entitled to the proceeds of that sale as, as one of the founding reasons for him being exonerated on this thing. And I think that basically is following a premise which says, if I wasn't party to a transaction, how can I be guilty of its occurrence? I mean, that's my layman reading. Let me first say, I have a high regard for the Reserve Bank, and I still think they're independent and autonomous, and they would have founded their conclusions based on solid law and things of that nature. But it's such a loose world. You know, we, we used to live in a very, very controlled, exchange-controlled environment. We don't anymore, okay? And so there's a latitude of interpretation around there, which this time has favored the outcome. I don't know any more enough about it to speak of. It is one of those things where there's good news and bad news. You know, the, the good news is that you're not entitled to this money. The bad news is you're not entitled to this money. You're not entitled to this money. It's all relative. You, you, you would have thought the president would have adopted a really low profile on the buying of these beasts. But no more recently than last week. Did he pay a record 35 million price for another bull? So clearly, yeah. this is something that is in our past, and we should leave it in there, in, in our past, actually. <laughs> there are more jets. I can't tell you what it's like. You might even hear them. We've got jets flying all over Santon. I hope they filmed them, and I hope it's not the beginning <laughs> of some sort of war. Anyway, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. so that's enough for BRICS. The only question I left remains unanswered on BRICS is, would Gaucho Marx have joined that club? I've got a new interpretation of the Groucho Marx saying, you know, I'm not prepared to be a member of a club that is prepared to have me as a member. So I'm only going to join clubs that want me as a member. And since no clubs want me as a member, no, you'll, be, you'll be fine, Tim. I'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I won't have any difficult decisions to make about the future. All right. Completely from left field, but you want us to come up with a number of the week. So yeah. I have what I think is an interesting number, and that is, you know, I phrase it as a question. There's no reason why you should know this. I beg your pardon. But anyway, so the question is, what was the value of lab-grown diamonds sold to consumers last year? 42.8. <laughs> no. So here's the thing. So $15, $15 billion worth of lab-grown diamonds were sold to consumers last year. It has increased by 20% a year, every year from uh, about 2015. Even De Beers now sells lab-grown diamonds. 
I just think it's an interesting development. You know, would you get engaged with a lab-grown diamond? Well, I didn't have to answer the second part of that question because the first part of that question is no. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, the the real issue is this. I wouldn't know the difference. No, no, that's right. And that's, again, a plus and a minus. If no one can tell the difference, who'd pay for the real thing? Okay. And I think they are, I mean, if ever there was an example of cannibalizing your own market, it would be De Beers (laughs) going into the production of chemically produced diamond. Now, having said all of that, these aren't cubic zirconias or any sort of poor cousin substitute. Yeah, these are real diamonds. These are, if you test them, they're real diamonds in the same way as growing a tomato in a controlled environment that's not in the ground, it still produces a tomato and with hydroponics or whatever they do it with. These are real, real diamonds. Well, we're starting to go into a world where we can make just about anything artificially. I saw a machine, I think it's somewhere in Israel, where they can literally print you a steak of your choice. So you Around there, and you go like, what do you want? The guy says, I'll have a sirloin. Do you want it fatty? Do you want it this? And the guy says, I want that. When you finish defining the four criteria, this machine gets to work and produces a steak, which is a steak, okay? Yes, yes, it's, yes. Not a, it's not a thing. It's a piece of meat. Yes. And if you decompose it, now I'll make one last comment. It's always been fascinating to me how brands develop their value. Let's take something like, I don't know, Tabasco. Right. So Tabasco is a world-famous brand of that hot chili sauce or whatever it is, which is easily decomposable and recreatable in a laboratory. Right. I mean, because it's just a, you know, that's all. It's just a couple of things thrown together. Chemicals, yeah. But if it wasn't protected, someone would produce it and call it Tabasco, but they're not allowed to. Yes. So if you produced the identical substance and called it Tim and Mark sauce, no one would buy it, okay, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> well, <laughs> speak for yourself. I Maybe think. if you just called it Tim sauce, you know. I think they would buy Tim yeah, sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the value of a brand. So, I mean, uh-huh. I was behind a Bucky the other day, which was self-evidently not a Mercedes, but someone had the Mercedes logo embedded in the <laughs> construct of this Bucky. Okay, now that's illegal. Yes. And the reason why all of that has to stay intact and the reason why you have to be able to discern between a diamond coming out of a nature and a diamond that you manufacture is because brands entitle you to charge a premium. Yes. Because they have a reliability factor, an authenticity factor, and so on. And if we cross the line to where the replica is indiscernible and unprotected from the real thing, we have a whole new script for the economy. This is what interests me about this diamond thing. I mean, the diamond market is, you know, has its own characteristics, of course. But it is another example of the many, like the one you've mentioned about uh, meat. And of course, there's the big one, artificial intelligence, where the distinction between reality and construction is beginning to merge. And there is this sort of gray area developing. And it's developing everywhere. I think that's the weird thing about it. We are constantly having to ask ourselves, what is reality? Yeah, yeah. I think that's just a very interesting new you know, cross-sectional phenomenon that is worth thinking about. The positive consequence of that is that they will still look for people who know. There will still be a place for real people who have expertise to the point where they can discern the difference. And so 
That's us old guys, Tim. Okay. That's us. That's us, man. We, we okay. kind of know. Okay. Yeah. So, so we've got another 10 years before we become completely irrelevant. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I mean, you know, it might become that it might be that that becomes even more valuable. I mean, it's, it's, it is interesting. The fact that you can now buy lab grown diamonds does not appear to have affected the diamond market. You know, maybe they're just doing it very cleverly, but lab constructed diamonds are cheaper. You know, maybe maybe that will make diamonds you dig out of the ground even more expensive. And and the same for everything else, you know. Yeah, if there's still someone that can tell the difference. Anyway, I won't I won't be buying any. Yeah. So what's your number for the week? My number for the week is not a happy number. Oh. It's a sad number. It's the fact that Eskom oh, okay. is owed sixty three billion Rand by the municipalities of South Africa. Okay, just to put that number in context, if they paid in one rand notes, it would take Eskom two centuries to count that. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Really yeah. okay, it's a lot of money. I mean, it is. Okay. It's what? It's a. It's a. It's an eighth. A little bit more than an eighth of their total debt. If yeah. Municipalities yeah. had paid their debt. Eskom would still be a possibly more or less financially viable. Yeah, but that's not where the pain ends. You see. A utility, one of the characteristics of investing in a utility is that it had the power to withhold its services if you didn't pay. Okay. Right. So if you don't pay a telephone bill, they cut off a telephone. So you pay. Right. A, you know, that's how it works. And that was one of the fundamental axioms of investing in utilities is that they had that kind of power and economic model. Now, when they go to the municipalities, the municipality says, excuse me, I'll pay you as soon as my debtors pay me. Right. Okay, which is the general population at large. You are not paying their rates and taxes. We don't get into the fairness or otherwise of such things. But the real issue is it's got nothing to do with ESCOM or municipalities. It's got to do with the absence of jobs. Okay. Yes. And with the political unacceptability of applying the cutoff model. You cannot, not, not that people would miss it that much because there ain't so much of it about if we cut off people's right. yes, okay. yes, yeah. And some people haven't had electricity forever. So, but the real issue is that our solution will not come from treating symptoms. Yes. We have to go back to the root cause, which is the creation of an attractive inward investable economy that will build jobs. And so all of the rest of the stuff is pimples. Yep. Oh boy, echo that. It's a tragedy, really. This whole thing is a tragedy because... It is a tragedy, man. I mean, obviously, the problem that municipalities have is that ESCOM bills have gone up so fast. They're going up faster than people's ability to absorb them, which makes fewer people pay, which makes it, you know, which makes the whole problem for ESCOM even, you know. And we used to be the country, you know, one of our unique selling points was, you know, our cheap electricity. You know, it's our cheap electricity underpinned our entire industrial sector. Yeah. Do you think that we'll ever get that back? Do you think it's possible for us to get that back? Ish. That's a lot <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone, I was, at a, I was at a birthday the other day and someone passed such a wise comment and said, you know, Mark, the older we get, the better we were. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, I think we should bid everyone farewell for another week. Cool, Mark. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Abe. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod, pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please, please contact, contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.